0: Week's host Eddie Webb, and with me is Matthew Dawkins. Hello again. Hello again. Um, uh, uh, we're getting some stuff cranked out while Dixie's still recovering from, from all of her, her fun COVID shots, but uh, we decided this week we would actually bring um, our friend uh, Jack Burgerstock on the show from the Badonna Group. Hey, Jack, how are you?
1: Hey, hey how you doing? I'm, I'm doing great on this wonderful Thursday morning. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which is great, because one of the rules of the podcast is we don't date when the podcasts are being recorded, and we also break that rule constantly. So you're fitting right in. Oh, okay. okay.
1: Same (laughs) as it ever was, uh, I guess, as the talking head said.
0: Exactly, right. Um, uh, So uh, we brought you on for a few reasons, and and I'm sure we'll digress and talk about other things, because that's just how we roll around here. Um, But the the big reason is... um, with Onyx PathCon coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, the Badata Group is the tr- charity we're going to be donating to this year. I think we did last year too with Onyx PathCon. Uh,
1: yep, we were. Yeah, we were one of the uh, shared charities. I believe that there are two or three different charities at last year's uh, convention. Mm, that's right. I yep,
0: that is right. Okay. Um, and so I thought it would be good because we have a, a pretty close relationship. Uh, um, with your organization. We like thought we would bring you on to talk about it, about you, about what y'all do and and how you go out doing it. So let's kind of start with the basics. What is the Bodana Group?
1: Uh, well, the Bodana Group is a 501c3 a nonprofit organization. We're based in York, Pennsylvania, and we utilize tabletop gaming, whether it is in board game fashion or role-playing game fashion, for education, skill building, and therapy. So... That can cover anything from the use of board games to help kids work on communication skills, cooperation, collaboration, critical thinking, all the way up to using the power of the narrative inside of a role-playing game context for kids to work on slightly more complex issues. Like, we work with a lot of children who are on the autism spectrum, uh, and there we work on social skills, social interaction, uh, again, uh, creativity, expression. Uh, as well as we use the structure of the the narrative to work on things like anxiety, depression. Uh, So it's really about crafting characters and stories that allow people to practice and rehearse skills that they will then be able to transfer into everyday living. But we believe that by using the power of the game, we don't have to sit there and go, Okay, Freddie. Today we're going to practice our reciprocal communication volleys. Let's count one, two, three. You know, it's more like okay, you're in a dark, dank cavern, and you hear a sound coming down from the end of the tra- of the trail. You know, we're able to to do it a lot more creatively, which we find engages the children uh, mm-hmm. and and the clients that we work with, and it also allows for. In further steps, we then transition a lot of them to becoming GMs themselves, as you know, which is a completely separate skill set of reflective listening, active listening, dealing with, you know, unforeseen circumstances or like, oh, my gosh, that player completely trashed the storyline I developed. What do I do now? Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, we try and graduate people on so that they can, you know, like I said, you use a lot of these skills that we practice into real world application.
0: That's that. That's all really fascinating. I've always been um, a really huge fan of your organization for, for a lot of the stuff that you've talked about because it's it's just a whole new world I was completely unaware of until we started talking. Um, is there a lot of other organizations that are doing similar work? Are you the only one doing this kind of work?
1: Uh, no, there are a, uh, there are a veritable uh, ton of agencies that are doing this. There are Uh, A lot of folks that are very good partners of ours uh, and colleagues, there's uh, Game to Grow in Seattle. Uh, There is uh, RPGresearch.com, headed by Hawk Robinson. He does a lot of programming also in the Washington area. He's in Spokane. Um, Mm -hmm. And we found that we are kind of the preeminent East Coast agency that is doing this. Most of the organizations that are doing this are like West Coast. Um, Mm -hmm. So we are pretty much like the big one on the East Coast. Uh, Because not only do we offer services directly, we offer consultation and professional trainings for uh, facilitators and organizations who wish to use this in their own practice. Uh, We run the annual Save Against Fear convention, uh, which is uh, the second week of October of every year. It's our main flagship fundraiser. We do webinars uh, that are designed for RPG content as well as for board games and how those are beneficial. Uh, the board game ones we do for free, those are all up on our YouTube page. Uh, that's for families and community people who want to find out about how board games can be beneficial. So yeah, we do a lot. We also have a tremendous, there's a world presence. We consult with companies in Australia, New Zealand, uh, England, Italy. Uh, I have someone I'm talking to from Estonia. So, uh, we are an international nonprofit in that sense that, uh, we've worked with and trained organizations across the world
0: that's just it's, it's frankly it's, it's amazing and fantastic that uh y'all have, have such a, a wide region and such a great mission honestly
1: oh ab- absolutely and and we've and uh, as you kind of mentioned i mean we've we've been connected with onyx for i'd say the better part of about 11 years uh mm-hmm. and, and actually onyx on a short is kind of part of our journey into therapeutic gaming when we ran our first save against fear ever we were mostly a company that was working with persons who had uh experienced sexual trauma and abuse uh, as Mm -hmm. well as folks who had um committed boundary violations against other people that was our specialty and we needed money as a nonprofit, so uh we ran save against fear at a local game store in new holland pennsylvania and we had the fortunate nature of uh what, the person helping us organize the event said, why don't you reach out to uh, Rich Thomas from Onyx Path Publishing? And I was like, really? They, yeah, he's he's local of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay. Uh, so I, I reached out to Rich and he contacted me uh, directly and he and I started talking actually about a lot of the letters he had received over the years from people from White Wolf and you know, folks role-playing through the horror setting Uh, working on uh, personal demons and, you Mm -hmm. know, just working through their own trauma and feeling this strength and this empowerment through gaming and that actually, and and he tries to defray this, that at all possible costs. I go, no, 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 it's you, it's you. It's not me. No, it's you. Um, <laughs> and, and, you're the best.
0: No, you're the best. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Uh, it's a, actually, him and I had a, a combo one night. We were talking about Bobby Bittman from SCTV. It's a, it's a deep pop culture dive, but it's kind of like, you know, as a comedian, if I could just get serious for a moment. Uh, but no, he, <laughs> he, he, he kind of started us off on this idea of examining gaming from this, from this very astute therapeutic lens of, you know, if people are getting this benefit without the guidance of a practitioner or a therapist, what if we quote unquote weaponized it? You know, what if we mm-hmm. really put therapeutic practice to it? So the whole basis is you start with a the therapeutic theoretical framework and then you stretch the game to fit the therapy. You don't stretch the therapy to fit the game. So you're always operating from, mm-hmm. a, from a point of, of clinical oversight.
0: That's really interesting, and, and, and Matthew, I think you mentioned at one point in time you've seen some more things in, in horror games of people getting kind of a, a cathartic release, I guess, or, or exploring things Is that yeah. Uh,
2: and I mean, I, I, I'm not a healthcare professional, so I can't uh, attest to the uh, yeah, obviously, thanks Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, so I can't attest to the therapeutic benefit. Uh, but I certainly know that some players, some players will use gaming as a way of exercising their demons, or getting something off their chest, or working through an issue, uh, or or uh, for the simple reason of escapism being a, a excellent way to chill out. And, esca- and again, it's it's that escapism from the uh, the stress of life, uh, and it can obviously be taken. To to greater lengths than that, you sometimes see it with live action role play. Sometimes see it with tabletop mm-hmm. role playing games too. Uh, and I I guess what what was always concerned me when I witnessed this when I was first getting into gaming is the um I guess uh, what would the word be? I guess it wasn't really being monitored. It wasn't really being guided. It was people thinking, hey, this makes me feel better, so I'm going to do more of it. Uh, or I'm going to really push my limits of of what I can tolerate. And, you know, that doesn't always have a happy ending. A group like the uh, Bahadana group, actually being able to, as you say, stretch games to fit the therapy makes a lot more sense uh because I think a lot of people who come into it just on their own and realize, "Hey, this is making me feel good, this is making me feel better on myself, they will essentially shrink the therapy to fit the game, and it isn't necessarily doing everything they might need it to
1: well, and, and you said it best when you said about the monitoring aspect because I mean when we talk about therapeutic gaming, there are multiple levels to that. Like, there, there is therapeutic in the sense of, you know, and I always kind of joke about this, there there are days where I've spent 60 hours being Jack that week, and I just, you know, for for four or five, maybe six hours, if I'm feeling young again, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be Jack for a while. I want to be someone else that's maybe more relaxed than Jack or, you know, that dives through caverns finding ancient relics, unlike myself, uh, unless you count my, my antique and yard sale hobby. But... when you when you take this practice sometimes you're right people bring i I mean you you're all very creative you know you've created so many things as as designers and as uh rpg writers and such that you know we each bring a a part of ourselves to anything that we create it's kind of inescapable so Mm -hmm. when when people bring a lot of that energy to the table there is some cautionary tale about, you know, don't don't turn your Friday night game session into your personal therapy session, unless and in the consent, 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 we talk a lot about safety tools and what we do as well. Because that that is a heavy aspect when you're dealing with emotionally sensitive material when you're dealing with, you know, a lot of things that are very close to a person's heart and their experience. There is a lot of safeguarding here, you know, I've had very extensive training and experience in working with people with trauma and people with very difficult backgrounds who, you know, if you just kind of let that fly at the table, unfettered as it were, uh, you, you could really damage a person. Um, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of safeguards. I mean, this isn't just, hey, I'm getting paid to play games with your kids for two hours. You know, it, it is no less clinical and directed than any other form of treatment. And that's mm-hmm. why we focus and and base it on its established methods and practices that are research driven. We just use gaming. I, the way I say it is, gaming is not the destination. Gaming is the vehicle. It it's how we mm-hmm. get a person to those goals. It's not just about the game. It's therapy through the game.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And actually, I want to I do want to get back to more about the uh group specifically. But um, that does bring me up uh, a digression. Is that Um, In the past few years, there's been a pretty steady increase in visibility on safety tools in gaming, in particular for games like Vampire the Masquerade, for Chronicles of Darkness and whatnot. And discussion around them has been increasing in years, I think in a good way. Um, But I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the safety tool discussion? I mean, I'm taking it as read that you think that they're generally a good idea, but I mean, do you think that there's more we can do? Do you think that safety tools are inadequate currently or are they adequate?
1: Uh well no that's a that's a great question I uh actually I, I can fully say without hesitation the the in-house choice for uh, safety tools for the Bodana group that we use in all of our groups and we even advocate in private play is uh, a tool called Script Change from a uh, creator called Bo, uh, named uh, Bo Jager Sheldon and yeah. you can get it on itch.io. it's it's a great tool because. I, and again, I'm not saying this as a knock in any way, but a lot of tools, um, I think by their very nature, people are like, well, this is sensitive material, so we're not going to go there. We're just, that's the rule. We're not going there. We don't go there. Well, mm-hmm. if you're talking about safety tools like like the X card, which is very good for what it does, but it's a very basic tool of mm-hmm. here's the X, you tap the X, that's it. We don't go there. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't talk about it. Now, one of the problems I think that's inherent to this type of experience is most people say, yeah, we have a safe table. We have safety tools. We use the X card. A- and I often ask the question, but hold on. Have you ever had an uncomfortable moment at your game? Because one, one of the truths about a lot of safety tools and a lot of just the nature of safety tools in general, let's think about this. I'm here with my buddies. We're all playing around a table. There's like six or seven of us, depending on the size of your group. Something Mm -hmm. happens that's uncomfortable to one player. Everybody else is laughing. They're gigging. They're having a good time. Everybody's gelling. That person traditionally is very likely not to say anything because Mm -hmm. herd mentality, right? We don't want to upset the herd. We don't want to be the only person that quote unquote isn't having a good time. You know, you're like the Debbie Downer or whatever. This is self-perception. A lot of people say, I'm not really like I'm kind of afraid to use those tools because I don't want to ruin the game. So, one of the unique things about script change and and I think it's where we're kind of getting to be more savvy with these tools is that, you know, people some people view it also there's a lot of talk like it's it's censorship. I came up with this great idea and now, you know, it's going to ruin the fabric of the game or do whatever and it's like really part of the idea behind this is Not that we have to have somebody go into this diatribe at the table of, like, why it was uncomfortable and, like, you know, it all started when I was seven. And, you know, it it doesn't need to be anything of that sort, but script change uses very unique uh, mechanics of a a remote control, like a VCR or a DVD Mm -hmm. player for... The younger folk in the crowd, so it,
0: yes, because VHS VCRs are well known for young people.
1: Jack. <laughs> yeah, no, the DVD is for the young. People. Um, <laughs> wow. So, so they have. There is no stop button in the uh, in the uh, tools for script change. There mm-hmm. is a pause button. There's a resume button. There's a fast forward or rewind. One of my favorites, which is the instant replay, which is, hey, that was really cool. Or, hey, there was a lot of info dropped. Could we instant replay that scene so I can make sure to catch all the detail? And then at the end, there's there's a highlight reel feature that they do every, every episode. At the end, you go, what was your highlight reel for the game? And this frames discussing moments in the game in a positive light. So it's like, man, that was a really awesome scene. Like, that was my favorite thing that happened during the game. So it's a signal to the GM and the other players about what we want to see more of. So instead of the focus being on, we don't want this, we don't want this, we don't want this, we don't want this, and we're like, well, what the heck can we have then? It's more of this idea of, this is what we want more of, because then everyone's really celebrating the good moments, And the good themes, the good energies, the good topics, the good structure, um, that also develops a communication amongst the table so people are more comfortable talking. So you feel heard, you feel validated and listened to, you're improving the experience, so someone is then less shy or less uh, prone to feeling that they're quote-unquote ruining it by bringing up something because then they also have a rap meeting – at the end which is was there anything that maybe was uncomfortable which you didn't feel like bringing it up during the session uh so it's this really nice tool Mm. that uses things like if you fast forward you talk about narrative tools like fade to black or as i like to say it's it's uh space balls no no go past this part in fact never play this part again you know it's it yeah so it's a very creative way for us to reformat the story so people aren't you know, It's not this doom and gloom therapy session kind of idea that I think most people misinterpret when they look at a safety tool because it's often seen as a shutdown.
2: But mm-hmm. until
1: your table has that discussion about something that wasn't okay, you I don't feel that you really get the opportunity to truthfully say you have safe space because you haven't tested it yet, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, uh, I... Uh, it, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because that i've been in a lot of games where after a session especially if it's a horror game the uh, gm will will have a bit of a cool down uh, almost all live action role plays i've been in have these mm-hmm. and and you will be asked were there any scenes that gave you issues you know was there anything that made you feel uncomfortable and there would be a great focus on the negative because the negative is what people are concerned about they don't want to repeat a negative uh situation but i have been in no sessions from memory where unless it was play testing where the gm asks so what were your favorite parts what were your highlights what were the things you'd like to see happen again in future games Uh, I just don't think I have ever seen it and that's quite remarkable now now that it has been explained to me
1: yeah and and I mean Bo Bo Yeager Sheldon they're one of these like they've been working on this tool here and there uh they first created about 11 years ago actually and wow. it, and they constantly update the tool, uh, add new elements to it. I think lately it's been uh, it's picks, squicks, and icks, which are you know picks are things that you absolutely love, squicks are things that are kind of well, uh, spiders are kind of icky, especially like in Hollywood when they used to use styrofoam rubbed together to represent spiders. Um, I watch a lot of MST3K. <laughs> uh, and x are definitely like, no, I don't want that there. And, it, and it's just a more accessible way to say things make me uneasy. And it, we actually had a weird experience at, at our table when we were doing, uh, COVID relief groups for college students in the local area. It's one little service that we've added as of recent. And, mm. um, so what we, what we had was in the, in the context of the game, one of the players said, you know, I I I would like to say that I have a I have an X card, I have a line, and we went okay. What's up? Uh, and he said, well, I don't like this. You know the way that we're automatically demonizing dragons. You know, and I don't like that we're like robbing, looting animal corpses for parts for spells. And hmm. we went okay, hold on. So we obviously have to talk about this because that that kind of conceit. You know, I mean, if if we didn't ever rob animals for parts, we wouldn't have leather armor, we wouldn't have scale mail. Right. Like it's a it's a fantasy trope. And and the adventure in question was based around the fact that they were all heroes who had mistakenly taken credit for killing a dragon that they didn't. So that was like the genesis of the adventure. So we said, okay, we need to talk about this. Now mm-hmm. that topic wasn't the important part of this story. What actually then happened was as a result of this experience of them opening up about this topic about dragons in the world and how the story and them coming to a consensus about what was okay within the fabric of the narrative one of the players at the table said yeah now that we're talking about this and I was like oh thank goodness there's something like this is what we want out of a safety tool right?" right the player said I would really appreciate if we didn't have any depictions of racial violence, racial insensitivity. He was an African-American gentleman. He very clearly mm. said this. Now, I think a well-intending, but uh, shall we say misinformed or potentially misdirected young man at the mm. table who is not African-American said, well, wait a minute. I think that we need to have that stuff there because if we don't talk about it, we're never going to solve it. Oh no. Yeah, you kind of see where that would, would would go, right? And and then right. the other player said, actually, point of order, uh, I have had to wash the N-word off my car. I've had to deal with being beat up because of my mm-hmm. of my race. <clears throat> so no, I don't need it in my game. So I don't want it in this game. And it and it broached that bubble. Like we mm-hmm. popped the safety talk bubble, right? Where now we were talking about a much higher level of importance to someone's well-being, their feelings of safety around the table, and it eventually led to this player who said, no, 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 we have to talk about this, literally having a, oh my God, I'm sorry, I didn't understand moment. Mm-hmm. So it, it, by having that pop the bubble conversation, which is what I really think is a good facet of safety tools when we're using them. That engender conversation. It it's not just about the game. It's about the players around the table who we should care about, not just as 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 friends or fellow gamers, but just as humans, you know. So so that idea of once you have that conversation, you've now created. That's you know you don't just say you have safe space and you have safe space. You have to work at safe space. It's like any other relationship. We we talk so much about. Starting the relationship, and you know that's where we 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 really put our dirty underwear in the drawer, like when we're you know in the in the ham not in the drawer in the hamper, you know when we're <laughs> when we're trying to put our best foot forward at the start of a relationship, but we often ignore the maintenance phase of a relationship, which is by far the most important. And I think that safety tools really are about maintaining those relationships of respect and acknowledgement to other people. So it's not well, yeah, we did lines and veils during session zero, so we're fine. We have a safe table. What? That was No, you have to have a session 0.2 and a 0.3 and a 0.5 and a 0.7. Like, what do you do when something comes up? Like, have and even knowing how, and I'm sorry if I'm on too much of a soapbox here.
0: No, it, no, this is all great.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, even just the idea of realizing that it, this is a process, not a step. You know, this is not something you just do and, Done! Ha ha! We're good. You know, no, this is a monitoring as you go, bow even build in, uh, thumbs up, thumbs downs as a non-verbal system within the fabric of the game for people that may not have access to, you know, verbal skills to communicate. There are non-verbal tr- si- uh, signals that we can mm-hmm. use as part of script chains. So again, for for multiple reasons, I, I really advocate. Um in your and it's gonna be uncomfortable because the first time you had that conversation, you're not gonna to how to handle it. That's okay. That's how we learn to handle it by working through it together while it's happening. It's a very organic process that I think people I think people shy away from actually using the tools as they're intended because we're uncomfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And I think that safety tools are a great way to learn to get through that and that helps in so many other ways that are, are therapeutic in general.
0: I, I, if if I'm pausing, it's because, um, it's just a lot of really fantastic points. I had never considered before. I'm trying to kind of parse them and internalize them because I I have a whole bunch of additional questions now, but, um, I I think the one thing that might be worth digging into, because we, we are a company that, um, makes a wide variety of games and, uh, I think it's fair to say that there's kind of two rough categories. There, there's the escapist fiction games um, that's that sets your, they can be the siege, your Pugmires, your Trinity continuums to a degree, blah blah. Um, and then there's the more horror games. There's your, your um, World Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness, uh, dystopia rising, evolution to a certain degree. Exalted falls into both those camps depending on how you play it. Um, and those are two different kind of sets of tools almost I've found because like when I'm running a game of Pugmire, uh, I, I, I've recently started doing um, consent forms to kind of just, you know, you know, r- uh, red, yellow, green, what topics do you do and don't want to see? Um, and then I had done them previously for, for more uh, horror or edgier games. Uh, and I find that people are more inclined to explore topics more. If the conceit of the game is a little more lighthearted but also the hard stops tend to be harder. Um, and I don't know if if this is making sense at all, but um, like in Pugmire, uh, I, I've had one example. I've I, I joked about this a little bit, um, but one person did come up to me. And it's like, yeah, well, I want to play Pugmire, but I have a problem with violence against animals. And my reaction was to joke about it and say, well, this might be the wrong game for you. Um, <laughs> but instead, what I said was, do you mind if we talk about what that means for you uh, because right now I'm struggling to see how you might have an enjoyable experience in this game at all. And I want, I want you to have a good experience with this. And what it turned out to be was they're very much in the, I don't like to see the dog die in a movie camp. I'm like, Oh, that's that, that has been covered. We can, you, you just go unconscious and characters don't really die. I and mean, there's an optional rule for exactly that situation. And that's not a problem. Um, but it was very much say if this happens, I cannot play, you know, it's like, it's just the one thing. Um, whereas in like if running a game of vampire or Chronicles darkness, um, it's much more, there's a handful of things that I'd rather we not go on, or if we do, it's framed well, or there's lots of caveats around it. Um, has that does that map to your experience as well, or is that kind of distinctive?
1: Oh no, it, it's it's absolutely perfect. I mean, I, I think that you you actually, I mean, again, I, I, I know your pedigree, uh, no pun intended. You, know, you, you definitely, hey, uh, dog puns. Um, but no, I, I know I know the caliber that that you run a table. You know, and mm-hmm. it, you did the thing that most people shy away from is you had the, the immediate gut reaction. Mm-hmm. But you and you, most people would leave it there. And most people right. go, well, I'm not really into having this sensitive discussion of everything. And again, you're not like, well, I'm going to put my Eddie the Therapist hat on and examine what trauma, you know, what John Wick moment did this person have? <laughs> you know, it, it, right. but but it was more about why. Mm-hmm. why. Why is this player making this request? Why is this player making this statement? And, uh, you know, I had a very similar situation in a Shadowrun game where I just off the cuff, I was like, oh my God, they're here in 10 minutes. What the heck do I come up with for a ad- uh, dogfighting ring? All right, good, fine, right. print, go with it. And in the middle of the thing, and this was like seven, eight years ago. This is before like the big safety tools consent conversation even was starting to happen in a, in a wide variety, that this player was like, nope. And I was like, hold on, what's nope? And and she's like, "I know." Not gonna have it, and and instead of me going, well, "What's your problem?" you know, or something like that, mm. it was a, "Okay, what's where? Uh, where's the issue? What's uh, wh- What is it about that?" I'm not okay with violence against animals in any sort, and almost instinctively, I, as a, as a GM, I wanted my players to have a good time. I wanted to right. make sure that everybody was cool, and because I knew if I would have pressed on with the story, that person was already out and locked out, yep. and then people would feel uncomfortable or bad. And I deservedly so about the way I handled that. So instead it was, okay, I understand. Would you be okay? Like, because I even said, is this like a, is this like a, you just don't want it described or is it, you don't want it there at all. And inadvertently, I pretty much said, is that a line or a veil for you? So I Mm -hmm. was already not, not having the language to use the tools, Mm -hmm. but I was going towards the same goal. So by finding out why she was just like, Nope, I just don't want animal cruelty. And I said, okay, they run drugs now or BTL chips. Is that okay? Is that, is that a better thing? And they go, what's BTL? And I went, okay, different discussion, better than life chips. Okay, let's move. Uh, But then that was an okay compromise. And that player thanked me Mm -hmm. afterwards for listening and hearing and changing my game on the fly. And I, I was like, well, I came up with it in five minutes, so I could surely change it in ten. <laughs> Why not? You know, right? Uh, and I and I think that that's a lesson for a lot of GMs who are very, you know, I, I hate, and I use that word very directly. I don't, I don't understand my way or the highway GMing. I don't understand mm. the, well, this is my story and who are you to censor me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh my God, dude.
2: Ah, well, 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 I was, go- I was going to ask you about that because, uh, I guess from the other side of the table, you do have some, some GMs, uh, and they're often quite vocal online. I've encountered far fewer of them in person than I have online. Mm. And I do wonder how much of it is just performative. Uh, you will have people who say, Well, if the player has a problem, it's the player's problem. They should get up and walk away and not ruin the game for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Or, I spent all this time writing this game. Yeah. You know, go, go to the bar during this bit if you don't like it. Um, and they have the attitude that you are compromising the structure of my horror story if my horror story can no longer deal with this particular subject matter and so i was going to ask well i guess firstly how to handle individuals like that who from my perspective and maybe it's a very shallow view seem to come at this from a very selfish point of view uh And I guess also well, how to handle them, how to make them more comfortable with using safety tools and not see them as some great imposition on their freedom to run whatever the hell they like for whoever they want, in whatever way they want.
1: No, I I think, I mean, when you really go back to it there, I I think that there are many different styles of GMing out there, but I've noticed one thing with this central argument that, uh, there are GMs that are just authors who have not yet written a book, mm-hmm. um, and then I think that there is another, and it seems like these are on wide, like chasms apart from each other, right? Where there are GMs who truly understand the nature of RPG. RPG is not open mic night, where you know it's it's a spotlight on you, and you're just there crafting your story, like you know you're you know reading The Princess Bride to Fred Savage. Like this is not. Like That's not collaborative storytelling. The, the the essence of that type of experience is about creatively, collaboratively telling the story. Now, I, I, again, I'm not going to say that there's a right way and a wrong way to play because some people enjoy that. Some people like having a story told to them and they're participating sure. in it, and that's okay. I, I think that we're, what we're talking about here is, yes, you've created this wonderful story, but I, I often say to a lot of these GMs, But have you ever had that experience where, I mean, do you just railroad all of your stories or have you ever had that thing where a player does something that is completely out of left field and you're scrambling on how to readjust your notes to follow where the story goes? And they go, well, yeah, I've done that. And I go, well, let's look at that then as this person's not trying to give you a hard time about your creative process. They're not saying your idea is bad. Because there are, I mean, I, because of the type of work that I've done and a lot of the therapy that I've had myself because of situations in my own life, there are things that do not work well with me. There are not many. I, I'm a very kind of, yep, I'm okay with this content. And, and I'm thankful for GMs that ask me that. And I go, thank you for asking. I'm, I'm okay with this content. I'll let you know if I'm uncomfortable. I, I don't have that concern. That's something that I've, that I've worked on. And I think that part of it is this idea of people very locked into this idea of well, if the players say no, then it ruins everything. It's like well, but look at it the other way around. If you're forcing this upon a player, you it's not only about hurting your story, but you could be hurting that person. You know, if you're if you're reengaging material, yeah. and and there are very obvious examples of this, right? You know, sexual yeah. misconduct, sexual abuse you know, domestic violence, spousal abuse, you know, things like that nature. Those are, those are givens for the most part, even though people still trot across those lines very readily. Um, And, and it's the kind of thing that if you're using, again, this is why we go to script change again. If you're using a tool that is highlighting, well, let's look at horror. Yeah. There are tons of different themes in horror. Some people love that setting and, you know again okay i don't like this game because of this well you know what i can name about 40 different horror systems going all the way back to you know what was it the tales from the crypt rpg or you know even ghostbusters you know a darkly humorous role playing game that can deal with aspects of horror if that's your if that's your thing there are different systems and different tones and different themes That, you know, you don't have to go to body horror to freak someone out. You can use atmospheric horror. You can use cosmic horror. You can use, you know, there's, so there's so many different stories that I say that if you're really worried about your creativity being hampered, think instead of the opportunity for your creativity to be enhanced by figuring out a different way. You know, it's like avoiding fridge girl or You know, all these other tropes that we had that are like those, well, if it's a couple arguing, they have to be arguing about a lost child. No, no, Mm -hmm. you, you don't have to go to the same well over and over again. So I always try to approach the, if creativity is your concern, think about the opportunity you have as a GM to tell a different type of story and to kind of enhance your craft a little bit by going somewhere differently. And and it's kind of you know sometimes a barrier is just an opportunity to overcome a greater a greater challenge, you know that mm-hmm. that wall isn't something you have to run into, it's something you can work around or climb over. So looking at that, then how are you better serving your players, which are going to bring people back to your table because now you're telling even more creative stories, you know maybe exploring because we do this a lot in our because. Uh, you know, Eddie, one of our uh, grant-funded groups, they're in the midst of a Pugmire campaign, mm-hmm. and it's, it's this – so we found different opportunities of ways to inject horror elements and, and frightening elements. Like they now – are. like the, my favorite is they went to examine an old game store. So I had to find creative ways to describe like bobbleheads and pop vinyls and like what a Batman metal sign that would go like in your gamer room, like all the stuff you'd sell, you know, these pretty plastic, you know, these pretty rocks that are sitting in these boxes of, of different shapes. And it looks like it's made out of the same material that coin is, you know, and they're like, wow, these are valuable. So these kids are like stuffing eight siders in their pockets and pouches, uh, just, you know, just because of how we're doing, but, But we were very conscientious in that some of the adventures we did were very frightening to them. So we had to change the context of it. And again, Mm -hmm. we do it for a therapeutic purpose. But when we change it and we find that it's something that they are then more akin to enjoying, then we go, oh, there's the line. that Okay, so they like it being this type of scary, but not this type of scary. And you Mm -hmm. may, you may find your group is different that, you know, again, I know a lot of, I played call of Cthulhu for years. So uh, since like second edition, I love cosmic car, but I know not every, you know, I've had a lot of players who said, Jack, I love the idea of you running any kind of game for me, but I can't stand playing Lovecraft uh, games of any kind because of him and his problematic nature. I said, okay, Cthulhu's out guys. Uh, HP preparatory from third eye or uh, what else do you want to play that might be horror? If that's what you want, mm. What world of darkness. Do you want another, you know, there's, there's other options out there. And I think that's the point of safety tools is there's always another way. And unfortunately, if, if you're going to continue to be that kind of GM that is, well, it's my way, my story. Well, you can't really have a story without people to play in it. And that, and that's kind of the reality. That if you if you embrace this instead as a way to enhance your game, and to to challenge your game to get better, your players will be more thankful. You will grow as a GM and a creator, and and you might also learn a little bit more about being more attentive to your fellow man. And and you know, and, and I think that that's a good thing overall. So that that's how I've tried to approach it with creators and. Um, it, it's been successful in in my era, but there are of course always, you know, those are the same folks that will argue against a, a fantasy wheelchair, but they won't at all argue the unreality of a fantasy setting. So you know, right? What are you gonna do? <laughs> Wheelchairs? That's preposterous! Hey, tell me about that bronze dragon. What?
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so it's, and I, I've known this about you for years, but I mean, even in this conversation, um, it's it's really clear um, that you're you're a, an avid gamer, have been for a very long time, and also you've been very passionate about uh, the therapeutic uses of such. So, um, what's your origin story? How did you get involved in this? These kind of twin interests.
1: Ooh, wow. Um, well, my my GV or my gamer VT, as it were. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I <laughs> hey. Uh, I, I started with role playing games. I first found uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, my mom, one year after tax time, said, Honey, we're here at Boss Cobbs. Sorry, that's an East Coast store chain uh, mm. in the States here. And you can get anything that you want in the entire store. And most kids would be like, Oh, uh, you know, a bike or like an Atari 2600. And I was like, I want that red box thing over there. Um, because I had heard about d d from friends of mine and such. This was like 84, so it was, you know, mm-hmm. a before 2nd Edition had fully kind of rooted itself, or even gotten here, I think. Um, so I, I got the Redbox, didn't know what the heck I was doing. Uh, then a friend of mine introduced me uh, to the Ghostbusters role-playing game. Mm-hmm. which I started playing when I was roughly around like 15 or 16. And that was the first game that I actually learned the rules of. And I, I love Ghostbusters. I've seen it well over 400 times. I, I can quote it backwards to forward. It's my favorite movie ever. And so I started getting into this game and writing stories. And, you know, when I started, it was even somewhat therapeutic, In that I, believe it or not, I was a very shy kid. I was very, very introverted when I was younger. I I did not have very high self-esteem. I got picked on a lot because I was, you know, very good in school and kind of nerdy, not at all athletic. Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of started to play these what I would call approach or fantasy characters. So they were like, you know, there's a girl in school I had a huge crush on. In the role-playing game, it was my character's wife. I was never brave enough to talk to her in school. But mm-hmm. in the game, I created a version of her, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that was a way to, you know, approach goals. I, I wasn't confident, I wasn't this, I wasn't that. So I played characters who were that way, um, who I wanted to be. Fantasy, you know, t- mm-hmm. typical typical preteen stuff. So then I moved from Ghostbusters to, in some weird twist of fate, my Ghostbuster then became a Marvel superhero in the old TSR phase rip system. And then then we moved to Shadowrun, and then I went, hmm, this Airedale character that I've been playing for a while, and this is hilarious when you talk about the divination of it. Uh, so in the future, Airedale, who had already been set as kind of like a Bruce Wayne entre- entrepreneur in Marvel, he had his own company, Airedale Enterprises. So in the future, mega corporations. hey, why not? So then I created Airedale's grandfather, who was in the Shadowrun universe, and he was, you know, his whole thing. And then we went to play Cthulhu, and I went, well, he's going to need a predecessor. So, you know, then I created his pre, you know, his ancestor, who was in the 20s in in that. So I had this whole lineage, and then comically, when I went to play Pugmire, I went, oh, I wonder if I can put an Airedale into Pugmire. So... It, it was very humorous that I've always... I, legit, I've always had an Airedale in every role-playing game that I've ever ran. Nice. It, it's been a staple. But the, the whole thing that I learned throughout all that experience was that while playing these role-playing games and playing these, these approach characters, I didn't know that I was doing this with a specific purpose when mm-hmm. I was a kid. But as I found... You know, first I was playing these characters, and then when I went to run my own game, I would have to play NPCs. So to play NPCs, I started to explore use of different voices, and I started to find that I had quite an ability to do different accents and to do different voices and different characterizations, and I started to get very comfortable. Exploring this creative side of myself. I I was always interested in creative writing. So I really liked and adapted onto that. And and this enhancement broke me out of my shell. I mean, you could Mm -hmm. literally tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, Jack, I have this PowerPoint I wrote for you. You're going to have to deliver it in 15 minutes to a group of 5,000 people. And I'm like, All right, where do I stand? You know, and Mm -hmm. you would have never gotten me to do that at 12. And so it was exploring my identity Uh, role-playing was an escape from my parents and their bitter divorce and me just kind of running the streets role-playing kept me away from you know falling in with a bad crowd and going down a bad road and Mm -hmm. so so all of that were all things that i analyzed after we had that conversation with rich see i tied it back to the beginning Ah. that hey, hey um that once we started looking at the possibility of, of role-playing as a therapeutic modality, we started examining our own gamer hobbies as members of the Bodana group. We all, what did gaming do for us? What did it mean for us? Why, why had we been playing these things for like over 20 years? You know, I have 37 years behind the screen at this point. So mm. what was the importance of all this? And then we translated that through... Well, what therapies can we connect to this? You know, what were we really doing and how can we guide another client through that? So that was really the connective tissue. I mean, as far as me getting into the helping field, uh, I came to therapy wanting therapy and then discovered that I was very good because of a lot of the situations I went through when I was a child. Uh, I was very good at dealing with crisis because I lived within crisis So Mm -hmm. I I gravitated to being a therapist, especially, you know, there are situations within family structures that lent me very well to the kind of work that I was doing. Um, So I was able to exist in a space where people needed, and it didn't bother me to stay in that space. So I, I came to therapy and found that I was very adroit in what I was doing. So when I eventually, and I even joke with Rich about the, the day we talked about this, it was like my Blues Brothers moment where like, you know, the clouds parted and like the sun shone down upon me when Rich was like, you know, I'm getting all these, you know, these uh, letters from people who are really working through some heavy trauma and some heavy stuff through to through, through the world's darkness settings. And I was like, oh my God, like, it, <laughs> is, is there a connective tissue? But mm-hmm. Between my gaming hobby, which I, I started to acknowledge had benefited me, and then that's when we started to theorize our model because we didn't actually work with a client for, I would say, the better part of four to five years uh, until okay. we examined the theory behind this and the practice. Like We, we theorized on this model for a while before Ooh. we started working with people because we didn't want to just go, oh, games with kids, awesome. Um, right. let's, let's just do it today. Cause, cause we did, we used to work in a juvenile treatment facility with, you know, kids as young as 10 to, to as old as 21. And we ran D&D on the unit as a recreational hobby cause we were all gamers and we needed something to do on that long 16 hour Saturday. But we started to notice behavioral changes in the kids that weren't deeply, like we weren't taking them through treatment. It was literally, Dude, you're our cleric. Don't blow this. We need you for the dungeon run this Sunday. So if you get off a level and you're not able to be in that game, we're going to beat the crap out of you. Like, so a kid's way of saying, we need you. Could you please stay out of trouble? Uh, So we started to see some benefit behaviorally for the kids. And we just, again, we took all of these stories, whether it was our, our therapist practice and what we had learned professionally, what we had experienced personally and what we had observed within the facility And, and we melded these together along with these conversations that we were having, like at this point I made up, you know, met contact with game 2 Grow, who at the time was Wheelhouse Workshop, and we were like talking and sharing ideas, and so we were talking with more professionals. And then as Save Against Fear started really taking off, we started meeting people who had told us their personal stories about gaming. So it... It was really this snowball effect
2: Mm -hmm. of
1: of over the years we had heard so many stories about how gaming was beneficial for people and the more people we talked to the more applications opened up for us we've used role playing for grief and loss treatment we've used it for anxiety depression trauma uh, autism spectrum disorders social struggles challenges anger management um, so many different applications but again it's all rooted in some type of therapeutic approach. So if I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm going to use cognitive behavioral therapy, but I'm going to use the game for exposure. So let's say right. you have social anxiety about people in authority. We're going to create like, you know, again, let's talk about a classic horror setting, right? Sounds like something from a game uh, game where it's like, you know, the, uh come on now, kids, as a can of shale. If I'm gonna tell you you need to stop making up all these wild stories. I ain't gonna investigate no creature <laughs> from the ocean. You know, like so I create an authority figure as the typical uh, go on home, you just drunk, whatever. Uh but that character can represent to that person an authority figure in their life that doesn't mm-hmm. believe them or doubts them or causes them to question themselves, which is a part of Imposter syndrome, which is a part of social anxiety. So we're using, again, we're using tropes, commonly accepted fictional narrative devices to then allow that person to experience. And we we had this in a research study that we did with uh, Harrisburg University of Science and Technology. We're still writing our first paper on it uh, that people said, I felt the anxiety in the game that I feel when I'm dealing with my mother or my father or my boss And it was really amazing for me to be able to feel that anxiety and to realize, wait a minute, I'm feeling this because of a game. Like, Mm -hmm. is a character that is even real? So, is my fear in real life real, or am I just? Is this just something inside of me that I need to tell? And and I had to laugh a little bit. And you're right. Shut up, Stanford. Uh, It's a classic, you know, (laughs) save against fear uh, panel discussion, but. so it's moments like that that we set up these moments knowing the goals of the clients and and what we want to work on. We set up these opportunities so it's not, well, today, Freddie, we're going to be uh, exploring the way that you experience fear reactions when you're around authority figures. They know the goal. We know the goal. We set up a story. We have safety tools in case it's too much. We play it out, and then the client comes to these awarenesses, so that that's kind of uh i i think a long way to answer your question
2: <laughs> no that that's that's fantastic it's uh fascinating and i'm i'm really glad we've had you on uh i, I guess uh, i know we're we're close to wrapping up so if mm-hmm. i may uh ask a question go for it well as we mentioned onyx pathcon is coming up and uh we like to have the bodhana group involved in that um, what do you want to see out of the convention
1: uh, I, I want to see a lot of people getting together, celebrating gaming, uh, celebrating this newfound worldwide connectivity. I mean, uh, out of all the things positive or negative uh, about the pandemic, the one thing that I, that I have enjoyed is seeing people connect from across the world uh, in these online spaces, people who had not gamed since college. Getting back together online—I mean, knowing full well they could have done it four years ago because it's not like Zoom wasn't around. Uh, <laughs> right. But just—I—I I, I like that we—we've realized the importance of social connection and that we've realized our, our system of togetherness. And I like when people are embracing that togetherness to to share in gaming. And just to share in this love of a hobby that, uh, I mean, just as its base is fun and awesome, um, I want more people to know about these games. I'm also personally and privately hoping that I can get in on a session of They Came From Beneath the Sea or uh, From Beyond (laughs) the Grave, because I own it. I have not yet had time to play it. I saw last year's broadcast of the adventure that just had me rolling in the aisles um, it was just such a great adventure. Uh, so that, that's my personal hope is I, I want to actually be able to play in one. Uh, but I know we're talking to all the, uh, the fine folks from, uh, start playing games. Did I say that correctly? Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. about, you know, maybe even Bodana running some sessions uh, but I know that I always love running Ghostbusters for people, um, mm-hmm. cause it's my favorite session, uh, game of all time. Uh, so I, I just want to see people coming together. Um, and, and celebrating games, celebrating gaming, cause you know, we're not we're not quite done yet with with the pandemic and everything, so you know, I, I can't wait to be around tables in persons with people, but I I just love folks getting together and I also am a huge fan of Onyx games. Like I said, I, I pretty much own everything, Pugmire, uh, including Fetch Quest. Woohoo. Uh, I'm telling Yeti, you, you put out a board game, I will throw my wallet <laughs>
0: <laughs> to where you are. Uh, it, it,
1: it will happen. Uh, but but also the Day Came series, uh, I just booked the, what was it, Adventure?
0: Yeah, Trinity Adventure.
1: Yep, Trinity. So I just I just backed that. I also own a ton of World of Darkness stuff. Um, so yeah, I, 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 ju- I just want to celebrate games and see people that really love gaming. Um, but also, you know, I, I actually LARPed Vampire for a number of years, Way way, way back in the day. I was, mm-hmm. a, I was a Gangrel. That was, I'm that shocked. Was, yeah, what a surprise that Jack in the early 90s would have owned a leather jacket and played a Gangrel vampire, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's what I'm hoping for, Just and, and a lot more just increase to Onyx because of how much I love the company. Also, I mean, uh, Rich is a member of our board of directors. That's no secret, so he's been a staunch supporter of us for for years and years and years and again my my friendship that I've developed with you Eddie and mm-hmm. everything. So it's just hanging out with good people. You know, I'll get to see Travis again, get to see Dixie again and
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: just just a lot of great stuff.
0: Absolutely. Um so yeah, like like Matthew said, um I'm glad we had you on here and, and frankly it's one of those things that uh once Rich mentioned that I was like, oh yeah, we just really should have Jag on because it's 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 been a long time. We really should have <laughs> done that <this> earlier, honestly. <laughs> Um, but uh, not, it, this has been a fantastic conversation, and if people have questions about uh, the Bodana Group or about you specifically, where would they find you online?
1: Uh, well, they can uh, check us out, www.thebodanagroup.org. Uh, Bodana is B-O-D-H-A-N-A. Uh, it's uh, said Bodana like the old Richie Valens song, O'Donna. Um <laughs> that's the best way because what is it Bodhana Bod- Bodiana and I was like eh, Bodana. There we go. Uh, and uh, you can also check us out on Facebook, the Bodana group where you find a lot more information about our local events because uh, we are starting to get our calendar uh, filled up for the end of 21 and the start of 2022. You can check us out on Twitter also at the Bodana group. Uh, I am Bodana Jack on twitter uh and yeah if you visit our website send us an email to group at gmail.com and uh we actually have uh we'll hopefully have some news in the next coming weeks about save against fear's virtual plan for this year Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of good surprises for this year i don't want to say too much because we're not fully done with our planning uh but we're planning to run virtual saves uh, hopefully across the country or across the world in local game stores, as well as getting podcasters and Twitch streamers to run some charity tables for us uh, nice. online. So we're looking at uh, worldwide presence for this year's Save Against Fear. But we will definitely, definitely be uh, talking about having more presence uh, at Onyx Path.
0: And you also have a book on drive-through RPG, Yes.
1: Oh, yes, that's right. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, yes, we have uh, actually a volume called Wizards, Warriors, and Wellness. It's uh, a primer about therapeutic applications of uh, role-playing games. We are currently getting the final versions of our design files for our second volume of Wizards, Warriors, and Wellness, which is all about tabletop board games. Uh, mm. That will be dropping very, very soon, uh, but you can order that through Drive Through RPG. You can also look us up at some of the Bodonna group um on there so yeah and check out information if you're a a professional who wants to get gaming into your practice we offer professional trainings every month uh about how to use role-playing and actually Eddie, one of our upcoming series is our godana systemic series where we are going to be offering a eight-hour training all about teaching practitioners uh about pugmire so we okay. teach you what Pugmire is, we make characters together, we run people through a sample adventure to teach them the system, uh, then we talk about uh, how the game can be utilized more specifically with therapeutic themes, like using the code of man, or you know how to use items of the setting for therapeutic gain or benefits we practice like some story starter exercises or connecting goals to the system uh one of the things that we're building into the training is that every attendee we uh purchase them a copy of the game so that they have it when we do the training so wow yep
0: uh, yeah i mean if anything i can do to help out with that just let me know because that, that just sounds amazing
1: oh absolutely
0: um and and matthew uh You have to follow that up. Um, Where do you find you online?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen. They can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. They can find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP. They can find me on Discord as Matthew Dawkins. And if they've not checked out the Exalted Essence Kickstarter, and who am I kidding? Of course they have. Uh, But if they haven't checked it out yet, please do so. And yeah, always check us out on the OnyxPath every Monday to keep up with our releases and uh, what books we have planned.
0: Absolutely, um, uh, folks can uh, find me at uh, pugsteady.com. You can also find me on Twitter as PugSteady. Um, you can find us all, well, yeah, Matthew and I at least, um, on the Onyx Path Discord. We're usually hanging out in the Onyx Pathcast channel. Uh, definitely, like Matthew said, check out the uh, Exalted Kickstarter. Jack is probably already backed it by the time you listen to this. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, uh, Onyx pathcon uh, is going to be uh, June eleventh through thirteenth. Uh, we're doing a lot of events going on. Um, we have a schedule up online. There'll be a link in the show notes so you can go check it out. Sign up to run games. Sign up to play games. And uh, uh, as we say the money will. Um, some of our profits will be going to the Madonna Group as charity, but also if you want to directly contribute to the Madonna Group, check out the Madonna Group website. So uh, they're a fantastic group, um, and I have nothing but great things to say about them and will until the end of time. Uh,
1: so. And thank you, thank you for having me on. I, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: We need to put a limit on these uh, on these phone calls, Eddie. Uh, they're not I supposed know. to be on the line for an hour. <laughs> Everyone
0: just keeps calling it at random. It's so weird. Just get an unlisted number. Um, but yeah, no. If nothing else, we should probably get together sometime and, and have a game or something. Because I think that would be a load of fun. Yes. Uh, but uh, as always, many worlds, one path cast.